the law school of America. Economic torts, which are also called business torts, are torts that provide the common law rules on liability which arise out of business transactions such as interference with economic or business relationships and are likely to involve pure economic loss. Nature of economic torts. Economic torts are tortious interference actions designed to protect trade or business. The area includes the doctrine of restraint of trade and, particularly in the United Kingdom, has largely been submerged in the 20th century by statutory interventions on collective labor law and modern competition law, and certain laws governing intellectual property, particularly unfair competition law. The absence of any unifying principle drawing together the different heads of economic tort liability has often been remarked upon. The principal torts are Passing off Injurious falsehood and trade libel, see also food libel laws Conspiracy Inducement of breach of contract Tortious interference, such as interference with economic relations or unlawful interference with trade. Negligent misrepresentation, and Watching and besetting. These torts represent the common law's historical attempt to balance the need to protect claimants against those who inflict economic harm and the wider need to allow effective, even aggressive, competition, including competition between employers and their workers. Two cases demonstrate economic torts' affinity to competition and labor law. In Mogul Steamship Company Limited, the plaintiffs argued they had been driven from the Chinese tea market by a shipping conference, that had acted together to underprice them. But this cartel was ruled lawful and nothing more than a war of competition waged in the interest of their own trade. Nowadays, this would be considered a criminal cartel. In English labor law, the most notable case is Taft Vale Railway v. Amalgamated Society of Railway Servants. The House of Lords thought that unions should be liable in tort for helping workers to go on strike for better pay and conditions. But it riled workers so much that it led to the creation of the British Labour Party and the Trade Disputes Act 1906. Further torts used against unions include conspiracy, interference with a commercial contract or intimidation. Recent developments. Several of the economic torts in English law, in particular inducing breach of contract and tortious interference, otherwise known as causing loss by unlawful means, have been reviewed and clarified by the House of Lords. In OBG Limited v. Allen the majority adopted a restrictive view of the unlawful means tort, where the plaintiff has a claim only where the wrong to the third party would have been actionable at the instance of that third party, and he must have an economic interest at stake in the interference by the defendant with that third party. In Total Network SLV Revenue and Customs, the House of Lords distinguished the conspiracy tort from the unlawful means tort and held that a more flexible definition of unlawful means was needed in the conspiracy context. In 2014, the Supreme Court of Canada, favoring the ruling in OBG, standardized Canadian jurisprudence with respect to the tort of unlawful interference with economic relations, which it preferred to call causing loss by unlawful means, or the unlawful means tort. In its ruling in AI Enterprises Limited v. Bram Enterprises Limited, it declared. 1. Liability to the plaintiff is based on, or parasitic upon, the defendant's unlawful act against the third party. The two core components of the unlawful means tort are that the defendant must use unlawful means and that the defendant must intend to harm the plaintiff through the use of the unlawful means. 2. In order for conduct to constitute unlawful means for this tort, the conduct must give rise to a civil cause of action by the third party or would do so if the third party had suffered loss as a result of that conduct. The unlawful means tort should be kept within narrow bounds, and it is not subject to principled exceptions. 3. The defendant must have the intention to cause economic harm to the plaintiff as an end in itself or the intention to cause economic harm to the plaintiff because it is a necessary means of achieving an end that serves some ulterior motive. 4. The focus of this tort is unlawful conduct that intentionally harms the plaintiff's economic interests. 
there need be no contract or even other formal dealings between the plaintiff and the third party so long as the defendant's conduct is unlawful and it intentionally harms the plaintiff's economic interests. 5. The tort of unlawful means is available even if there is another cause of action available to the plaintiff against the defendant in relation to the alleged misconduct. In Indian jurisprudence, economic torts have found varying degrees of acceptance. While Indian courts have been reluctant to award damages for the economic torts of simple and unlawful conspiracy as well as inducing breach of contract due to the confused state of the law, damages are regularly awarded for torts affecting economic interests under the conspiracy to injure and courts have referred to English precedent on the matter. The courts have been more willing to adopt English precedent in areas such as the tort of deceit, unlawful interference with trade, intimidation, and malicious falsehood which constitute an intentional attempt to undermine the interests of a specific party. Conspiracy, Civil. A civil conspiracy is a form of conspiracy involving an agreement between two or more parties to deprive a third party of legal rights or deceive a third party to obtain an illegal objective. A form of collusion. A conspiracy may also refer to a group of people who make an agreement to form a partnership in which each member becomes the agent or partner of every other member and engage in planning or agreeing to commit some act. It is not necessary that the conspirators be involved in all stages of planning or be aware of all details. Any voluntary agreement and some overt act by one conspirator in furtherance of the plan are the main elements necessary to prove a conspiracy. A conspiracy may exist whether legal means are used to accomplish illegal results, or illegal means used to accomplish something legal. Even when no crime is involved, a civil action for conspiracy may be brought by the persons who were damaged. In tort law the legal elements necessary to establish a civil conspiracy are substantially the same as for establishing a criminal conspiracy. For example there is an agreement between two or more natural persons to break the law at some time in the future or to achieve a lawful aim by unlawful means. The criminal law often requires one of the conspirators to take an overt step to accomplish the illegal act to demonstrate the reality of their intention to break the law, whereas in a civil conspiracy, an overt act towards accomplishing the wrongful goal may not be required. Etymologically, the term comes from Latin con with, together, and sperare to breathe. In United States business litigation. Business litigation often involves the use of conspiracy lawsuits against two or more corporations. Often joined in the lawsuit as defendants are the officers of the companies and outside accountants, attorneys, and similar fiduciaries. In many states, officers and directors of a corporation cannot engage in a conspiracy with the corporation unless acting for their private benefit independent of any benefit to the corporation. Civil conspiracy law often takes the form of antitrust lawsuits, usually litigated in federal court, where, for example, a plaintiff may seek treble damages for overpayments caused by price fixing above a market rate. The Federal Sherman Antitrust Act provides both civil and criminal penalties. Other agreements among businesses and their agents for group boycotts, to monopolize, and to set predatory prices with intent to drive a small competitor out of business, would be actionable. Conspiracies in violation of the federal securities laws such as the Securities Act of 1933 and the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 form another area where intense civil and criminal lawsuits occur over the existence or non-existence of an alleged conspiracy. Both the Securities Exchange Commission, SEC, and the Department of Justice bring legal actions for conspiracies to violate the securities laws. For example, a regional bank called PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated through a subsidiary agreed, in June 2003, to pay $115 million in civil fines and restitution to settle the SEC's allegations of securities fraud. The subsidiary was accused of conspiracy to violate securities laws by transferring $762 million in troubled loans and investments to off-balance sheet entities in 2001. In that case, the Justice Department deferred prosecution of PNC, 
citing its cooperation in a related investigation. Similarly, the civil litigation against the tobacco companies to recover health care costs, alleges a conspiracy under the Medical Care Recovery Act, 42 U.S.C. Section 2651, at SEC. Count 1, the Medicare Secondary Payer Provisions of Subchapter 18 of the Social Security Act, 42 U.S.C. Section 1395 Years B2B2, and, 3, Count 2, and the Civil Provisions of the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations, RICO, 18 U.S.C. Sections 1961-1968, to deceive the American public about the health effects of smoking. Plain Language Jury Instructions Often the modern civil law of conspiracy is described in plain language jury instructions. The standard California jury instruction for conspiracy is governed by Rule 21050 of the California Rules of Court. The new California jury instructions are designated as the official instructions for use in the state of California. It is not mandatory for the California judges to use them, but it is strongly encouraged. An example of some of the plain language California civil instructions on the essential factual elements of conspiracy reads as follows, with fictional names placed in the blanks in the jury instruction form. A conspiracy is an agreement between two or more persons to commit a wrongful act. Such an agreement may be made orally or in writing or implied by the conduct of the parties. Plaintiff Smith Incorporated claims that it was harmed by Defendant Jones Corporation for refusing to sell widgets to Plaintiff Smith Incorporated with intent to unreasonably injure competition and that Defendant Brown and Associates is also liable for the harm because it was part of the conspiracy with Jones Corporation to unreasonably injure competition under the California antitrust laws. The facts of each case can vary widely as to the exact nature of the underlying scheme. In the above example, a common fact pattern could be that widgets are necessary for Smith Incorporated to manufacture its product, and Brown and Associates is a competitor of Smith Incorporated. How the conspirators entice one another into the scheme also varies. In the above example Brown and Associates could promise Jones, Corp. Kickbacks from the additional profits it hopes to make if Smith Incorporated is forced out of business because it lacks the necessary widgets, or Jones Corp. could entice Brown into a conspiracy with the prospect of increased profits, to be shared with Jones for withholding widgets from Smith. In English law, the tort of conspiracy requires there to be knowledge of the relevant circumstances and of the agreement made. Thus, as a precondition to corporate liability, it must be possible to attribute the relevant employees or agents' knowledge to the corporation. There are two possible legal approaches. As a matter of agency law, the acts and omissions constituting the alleged conspiracy must have been carried out within the actual or ostensible authority of the agent, or as a matter of vicarious liability the acts and omissions must have been carried out in and during the course of the employment. There is little difficulty when the claim is that the company either conspired with a second company or with at least two natural persons. The requisite knowledge can be attributed under either head as appropriate. But there is a problem under the first heading when fraud is involved because there is a clash of authority. Lloyd v. Grace, Smith and Company held that a principal may be liable where the agent commits a fraud within actual or apparent authority whereas in and re Hampshire Land Company, it was held that the knowledge and, sometimes, the conduct of an agent acting fraudulently so as to cause loss to the principal will not be imputed to the principal. In theory, vicarious liability may be of more assistance in that it is attributing the wrong done by one, natural, person to another, fictitious, but, in Belmont Finance Corporation v. Williams Furniture Limited, the Hampshire Land Agency line of authority was preferred. Belmont, a company in liquidation, sued a number of defendants, including the majority of its own directors, for conspiracy to procure Belmont to buy shares in another company at a gross overvalue. The purpose of this plan was to fund the acquisition of shares in Belmont itself by some of the defendants. 
Foster J. struck out the claim on the basis that Belmont was itself a party to the conspiracy. On appeal, Buckley L.J. said. But in my view knowledge should not be imputed to the company, for the essence of the arrangements was to deprive the company improperly of a large part of its assets. As I have said, the company was a victim of the conspiracy. I think it would be irrational to treat the directors, who were allegedly parties to the conspiracy, notionally as having transmitted this knowledge to the company. Because Belmont could only be a party to the conspiracy if knowledge was imputed, the Court of Appeal insulated it from the knowledge of its directors even though those directors, with that knowledge, made relevant decisions at board meetings and attached the company's seal to the relevant documents. To that extent, liability and conspiracy is different from the standard vicarious liability situations in which, say, a company will be deemed to know that vehicles or machinery have not been properly maintained or that a service has been negligently delivered. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike License. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America